Welcome to Water and Air, the podcast trailblazing the way for senior leaders and managers in law to help create culture and capability that allows themselves and their teams to shine. Just like Water and Air, it's the ordinary that creates extraordinary results. And these things can make all the difference between thriving and failing in the world of law. Join us as we uncover and share just what these ordinary things are and how to make them work for you. By Parul Patel, powered by Fuel and Move, your career gym for lawyers. For more information, click the link in the show notes below. Welcome back. We're at part three of this four-part series on team togetherness with our esteemed panel of professional community and Olympic athletes who have successfully repurposed the transferable attributes as athletes into the professional services. And I wanted to share these insights with you in this series taken from the Summer of Sport webinar hosted by Fuel and Move. This part three takes a deeper exploration into the role of effective feedback a subject we're all well acquainted with, and from the experience you shared with me, a subject that leaves you with mixed feelings and something that you're perhaps keen to hear a little bit more about and improve on. And what a multifaceted relationship we have with feedback, don't we? I mean, as lawyers, we often find ourselves coaching and advising and even scripting and drafting for our clients on how to deliver those critical messages. And I mean critical in both senses. I know I have. And so often to achieve client outcomes, our job becomes as much, if not more, about the contextual and interpersonal awarenesses as much as the legal advice. And then many of you have shared your mixed experiences about giving and receiving feedback in your own teams, the discomfort of giving it, and sometimes the abrasive or defensive reactions of recipients. But worst of all, the apathy-filled, inauthentic feedback that makes the process a time-wasting tick-box exercise and a conduit for distrust and insecurity. And in today's Water and Air episode, we explore how we can turn feedback from a weapon into a power tool for delivering a better version of success for individuals and teams. I, I think if you're criticized, either you it gets to you and you sort of it breaks you down or you get tough and you deal with it. I was used to uh, criticism from my father. I mean, I, I know he loved me, but one time he, he sort of hit me in those days, you can hit your kids. And it turned out he was wrong. And I don't even remember if he said he was sorry, but I remember he said, that's life. He said, sometimes you get blamed for things you didn't do. And I remember that fondly. And just with the coaches, I mean, you know, either you crawl into the corner and leave the team or you get tough. So I think it happens naturally, but I think your childhood prepares some better than others. I think Howard's right. I think that people do definitely react differently to criticism. I was I was one who struggled with criticism when I was younger. Struggled coming up when I first played in front of the crowd, and you know, I played in front of my home team, and I, and I got you know booed or they they groaned when I hit pass out of play. I struggled with it, and I think it's an important thing. We're embracing more nowadays. It literally was, you know, as Howard said, you were criticized and if you were strong, you got through. And if you, if you weren't, you sort of fell by the wayside. And I do think, I think that, that has a place because you need, you need to receive criticism. You need to be able to, to move from it. But also I think nowadays we're a bit more aware of mental health, mental well-being. 
and how people who are maybe a little bit more susceptible to criticism, but can get to the right place with the right support and the right guidance. I think there's more of that nowadays, which I think is good. But yeah, for me, it was definitely sink or swim when I was younger. And it, it took me a while to get going. It took me, I moved around a couple of clubs before I really sort of found my way and got going. So, you know, but I think that's important that we realise that people can get there as well. But sometimes there's a slightly different route to where we Yeah, because what I was thinking of what you're talking about, criticism there, I think also resilience comes into that because you become more resilient to that criticism and understanding the meaning behind it and then how you adapt and use that information to improve or get better. And that is something you just keep developing because you're not born with some level of resilience. It's something you learn over time. So I think with that feedback, different coaches give it in different ways due to their upbringing and how they were taught. And obviously now we're moving into an environment where we are more cautious about how we help people because there are other factors going on with their well-being and how we want to bring everybody on that journey with us rather than making people crumble and not wanting to pursue certain things. So I think it's just an evolution now, but I do think that kind of resilience element that, you know, we've probably all gone through, there will be traits of that come out without you realizing because it's like a second nature you have to respond to certain situations. So I think for me, that was kind of, when I look back, it, it enabled me to progress because I, I searched for that feedback. I wanted that criticism. Could everybody, if everybody just told me it was good all the time and I'm not really going to get better, I want to know what I'm not doing well so I can work on those things and improve those and, and get better each time. So, yeah, that was just something I just wanted to that kind of resilience element to that kind of criticism and feedback. It's interesting, Josh, because you, you've got the uncommon experience that the criticism was coming to you from a massive, massive audience right into your physical ears, right? So it was almost like social media is at least from behind a screen and you can switch it off. You couldn't switch it off. You were just going to work and getting yelled at, <laughs> not by your coaches, but by, you know, tens of thousands of people in the stands. And how old were you then? Yeah, I made my debut when I was 17, just, just in 17. So, and I wasn't ready for it at that age. I found it hard. I did find it hard. I found it very hard to be criticised by a crowd and to, to pick up the paper the next day and see, you know, that I got four out of 10, or five out of 10 and know that all my friends were going to read it. it. It was hard. Yeah, it was hard. But I think Mark's right. I think I, I probably built up resilience and, and then could draw on that as I went forward. And yeah, it was, it was a different environment. I think maybe Georgia playing for Great Britain, I would imagine, especially the Olympics is very much supported. Although I suppose you're still going to get, you know, people who are groan and moan if you hit a bad shot or a bad pass and stuff like that. So you still get that. But yeah, the, the I think I've described to you before, well, it's like it's like performing in a goldfish bowl. You are mm. you are really under the spotlight and everything in the sporting environment happens very quickly. You know, you don't get, you know, in, in the legal world, you get a bit more time to think about things, you know, get a bit more time to correct things or, or, or sort things out in sport, it's, it's, it's happening very quickly. So it's a real microscope on, on, on how you should be reacting and, and dealing with things. In the legal profession, we often describe it as being a really fast-paced environment, but you hear it, heard it first here, we go slow in low, they go fast in football. It does seem a lot slower now than it did, yeah. It's <laughs> interesting though, watching, hearing about the evolution of the kind of support and what sits behind how athletes are set up for success. So in when Howard was was training, there was a certain level of knowledge, like strength and conditioning, I think, was already there. But perhaps how coaches reprimanded, corrected, encouraged athletes is very different to how they're 
how people are being developed now. And I, I suspect a lot of that is because we know more now. We know more about what drives performance. We know more now about what motivates individuals and that each individual, as Mark said, is, is unique. And we need to meet people in their uniqueness and draw them out to get them to the place where they could be, should be, would really best for them and, and everyone else. I mean, it's a wonderful transition to make, to realize now that actually to get to that higher level of performance, actually maybe looking more at the well-being and building from there up as where we're headed. And Georgie, you know, when you were talking about as when you brought the new psychologist in to start working on values and culture and, you know, getting that shared collective goal, that part of that exercise or part of that journey was really included going through, you know, knowing that when you got to the Olympics, you had done all the preparation to set yourselves up for a, for a success in the Olympics, looking at different scenarios that might come up, making sure that you had the right support in place, right? And it's that's the transition that I'm observing. You guys lived it. So was that something that you noticed as you were going along? Is it something that you experienced? Because sometimes it's easier to observe it than to be when you're in it. <laughs> it's, for me, it's just something you've touched on there, being in the team, no matter how big your team is, it's our accountability element. You know, when you are, Georgie and her team kind of created those, that goal, that purpose, the vision of what they want to create it is, is once you get all that information out, it's trying to align how we're going to be accountable for these things on a daily basis. I think that's really important because teams have away days and do lovely things, but how much information of that particular moment do they actually continue on a daily basis and how do they create that accountability? Um, and obviously Georgie and her teammates did a great job of that because they went on to to, to become victorious to win a gold medal. But there was that accountability element of every single day, abiding by the rules that they set in place. And that is extremely difficult to do. But the rewards of it are obviously to be the best at what you do in any sector. So I think that accountability element is really something else that we kind of needed to mention today, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think as well, I think, as you say, you know, some sometimes people go off on these away days or do a leadership camp and then, you know, tuck that information away and 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 don't touch on it again. Whereas I think, you know, as you touched on around the accountability, you know, we had thrashed out these sort of vision values, behaviors that we wanted to uh, to abide by. But those weren't things that we, you know, we then tucked away. These were things that we talked about regularly. You know, we checked in, we discussed, they became part of regular conversations, our debriefs of what we were doing, our training weeks, you know, everything that was going into a training week, not just the hockey training or the physical training, it was everything else that was going in. And those decisions were driven by this culture that we had created and these behaviors that we all wanted to live by. And I think people can be guilty of thinking they've done this leadership session and, you know, got all the answers and then not like leaving it behind and not even revisiting it again at another point. These are things that you have to work on and have to continue to develop. So, yeah, I think accountability is is vital. Kind of feeding into those, we have like daily rituals, you know, whatever they may be, you know, is it turn your social media off at a certain time of day or you go to bed at a certain time, you eat a certain, whatever it is, those daily routines and rituals are what embed those kind of small marginal gains we want to call that. And that accountability is to do your part that adds to the bigger picture. I know you're not going to do that work. You're not going to go to bed at the same time and that sort of thing, but it's what works for you to align yourself with that purpose and goal collectively to, to kind of move forward together. So those kind of daily rituals, that, that's something that we used to use as well. That's another term we used. 
back for a second to the criticism. One of my teammates, he was very sensitive to the criticism. And I said, Steve, his name, I said, when Victor, our Russian coach, when he stops criticizing you, that's when you have to worry. That means he's not interested in you anymore. You know, and, and I heard the saying, which is funny, even a dog knows the difference between being kicked or being accidentally stepped on. You know, I mean, if the coach is saying because he cares for you, then get over it, you know. Then, but another thing, positive and negative reinforcement. Some athletes, I would think most, I know I was a positive reinforcement guy, but sometimes, you know, some coaches are negative reinforcements. I remember the coach, because we were under the national coach and he said, okay, three more minutes. And we, I gave everything I had in my mind. I was down in the match. I was trying to score a point. Then we stop. I'm exhausted. He says, well, if you're really tough, you'll do another three minutes. And I just found that dishonest, you know, like he should have just kept quiet and said, okay, three more minutes. And then, and that's it. But I think positive and negative reinforcement is really important. As was said earlier by a few people, every person is different. Each person gets motivated differently. And Erin. Yeah, I just want to add that the feedback and everybody's touched on this a little bit on, you know, how important it is and how I think, Mark, you said that, you know, you've come to a place where, you know, you want that, you expect that and you need that to make yourself better. And I think that, you know, part of the importance of togetherness is making sure you're building a team that supports a culture of feedback, not just for you know, the leaders giving feedback to their reports or their staff, but also the leaders being open and able to take feedback themselves and their teammates feeling like they can give that without any kind of retribution. And sometimes I think that that's where a lot of work has to be put in just to, at the beginning, just to kind of build that culture where feedback is accepted. We did a, a session with our psychologists around what you're like on, on a good day and what you're like on a bad day. So you each individually had to sort of talk around the signs and triggers of when you're in a sort of a good headspace and when, when you're in a bad headspace and how best people should interact with you within that. And it was sort of learning about, as you as you all just touched on, you know, how to get the best out of you as an individual and how everyone else in your team, the coaching staff, how they can get the best out of you, depending on how you are. And obviously, I mean, with the squad of 32, that's quite a big ask for the coach. But, you know, even even little things that can come out of that, you know, can can make a big difference around how how they interact with with the players and and I always remember the coach saying to me I'm I'm a very competitive person and after selection he said to me oh I made it tough for you because I knew that you'd have to fight through it and prove yourself that way so you know touching on what Howard had said he'd been really really tough but mainly because he knew that that was how to get the best out of me and it's sort of so translatable into you know, how you work with anyone, really. It's really working out the best way, you know, to get the best out of one another. Yeah, and see, it seems seems like a lot more effort needs to be put back into the fundamentals, into the foundations to create the culture, the environment, to allow the rest of it to kind of be built up on top of it. And that comes from that big kind of the initial work, but then actually it's the everyday commitment to, to the things that you've agreed Before I share what I took away as the highlights, I'd really love to hear about what resonated with you. 
Were you able to identify what type of feedback you and your team members respond to better? Is it the negative kind like Howard shared about one of his wrestling coaches? Or is it the positive kind that he said he found more motivating? For me, the two most poignant call-outs, I guess my analysis or the takeaways that I've got from it are, are these. One, personalization in how we deliver feedback. Feedback is a form of communication. And rule 101 of effective communication says that it's all about connecting with the audience, meeting them where they are and bringing them along the journey to where you need to get them. We're all different, right? And so is the way we're able to receive feedback. So next time when you need to give feedback for progress, maybe first set aside any frustration you may have fallen into. Take a deep breath and reconnect with your compassion for yourself and extend it to the person who you need to speak with and use that to connect with them and bring them on the journey of correction and progress. And then on the flip side, if you're the person receiving criticism or feedback, maybe just take a moment to remind yourself how difficult this process can be for many people and how easy it is to get wrong. Extend compassion and understanding toward the person who has taken the time and energy to invest in you, even if there is huge room for improvement in how they do it. Instead of looking for how it might offend you, sift through the message to find what can help you progress. Apply your own filters that lets the helpful stuff in and keeps the offensive stuff out. Let us know how you get on with trying out this approach. That's it for this episode, but next time is the final part of this four-part series on team togetherness. And we'll be bringing this series to a close with insights about team selection and the role of fairness whilst maintaining the humanity of personalization in communicating. So until next time, keep sharing, inviting, and unlocking your own version of extraordinary. Thank you for being part of the Fueler Move community. Make sure you never miss an episode release by subscribing and reviewing the podcast below. Also, leave your questions in the comments box below and we'll try and answer them in future episodes. For the latest on performance optimization for lawyers, you can visit fuelandmove.com. Looking forward to you joining us next time.